First chapter in the Bible, relatively easy to find. Genesis chapter 1. And follow along as I read. Don't take my word for it. could be saying anything up here. Follow along so you can keep me honest. If you didn't bring a Bible, which I always encourage you to do, there's one in the seat in front of you. I encourage you to take that and follow along. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Father, Lord, we're just so thankful for the wonderful truth of your word. And I pray now as we look at this first story that you'll speak to our hearts, that you'll help us to have open minds and open hearts, Lord, our culture and our world. And Satan and his hordes fight so hard against this story. And uh, whole, whole disciplines have risen up to try to contradict this story. And so I pray today, Holy Spirit, get hold of our hearts. May we who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ accept your word, believe your word, trust your word. And I pray you just fill us with this truth today and its ramifications. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaac Watts, way back in 1715, wrote these words. He said, Now let a spacious world arise, said the Creator Lord. At once the obedient earth and skies rose at his sovereign word. We are beginning a new series. Last night I went and saw Tim Hawkins at uh, Josh and Allie's church. And, and I'm never going to be able to talk about a series again now the same way because he cracked on pastors quite viciously, and one of the things he cracked on was pastors who stand up and said, now we're in the middle of a series, and uh, yeah, we are, we are in the middle of a series. We're starting a new one, and it's on the great stories of the Bible, and I want to begin today with what I think is surely one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of all of them, the story that tells us of first things, the story that tells us of creation. And so let's look at it as we oftentimes do when we're looking at uh, narrative passages like this. Let's look at what happened, and then let's make some application from it. What happened? Let's look at the timeline, first of all. And obviously it all started, according to verse number one, in the beginning. I think it was Maria von Trapp, wasn't it? Or Maria von Trapp, or at least the uh, movie version of her who said, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. And that's what, what we're doing here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, of course, as we read the Bible and continue to read the Bible past this first chapter, we realize the beginning that is spoken of here is the beginning of human history. It's not the beginning of God, nor is it the beginning of his activity, as many other passages would suggest. I mean, John chapter 17, I'm now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was, Jesus said. Ephesians chapter 1, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. 2 Timothy 1-9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Revelation 13-8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And there's others we could look at. It's not, the, it's not the beginning of everything, but it's the beginning of us. It's the beginning of human history. It's likely that between verses 1 
and, and 2 of Genesis chapter 1, some things happened. Probably the fall of Satan took place uh, in the period of time between those two. But that's the subject of another study, and I'm not going to get into that today. I'll leave that for your own research. There's definitely more to this story, but for our purposes this morning, God gives us plenty of detail about uh, the beginning of us, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of our world, the beginning of our universe. And that's what we want to see here this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible opens by telling us that God is, that God created all that is. That Hebrew word that is translated created there describes the creation of something new and perfect out of nothing. One source I I consulted said that uh, that particular word is used throughout the Bible only with God as its subject. Only God created. He simply spoke, and it was done. One man said he willed into being everything but himself. Only God created. Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Hebrews eleven three By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In the beginning, God created. Well, let's notice how he did it. And admittedly, this is going to be a very high-level look. I mean, we could, we could uh, spend a lot of time in chapter 1. It's a chapter that invites a lot of study, but uh, I'll let you do that on your own. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version today. Very high-level look at how he did it. God created everything that is, from the all-inclusive statement in verse number 1 to the detailed explanations of what took place on each day of creation week. We see God creating. We see him creating the world, the sun, the moon, the stars, every creature that swims or flies or walks, and finally, mankind, you and me. And he did it in six days. Those days are organized like this. Day number one, there was light. That's verse 3. Day number 2, he created the atmospheric expanse. Now, there's an interesting word there, the word firmament. This is in verses 6 through 8. Basically, you could write down in the margin of your Bible the word sky there. That's basically what it means. Uh, There's a lot of explanation of that word. It simply means expansion. It denotes the space or expanse like an arch immediately above us. One source described it as an area of atmospheric space. Why don't they just say sky? It was sky. That's what it was. So on day one, there was light. On day two, he created the sky. On day three, he created the seas, the dry land, and vegetation. Verses 9 through 13. On day four, he created the sun. And the moon and the stars, verses 14 through 19. I think it's one of those wonderful examples of understatement in our Bible. Oh, by the way, he created the stars too. Have you ever looked out at the sky on a very, very clear night? Have you ever looked at some of the uh, the Hubble telescope videos, or not videos, pictures, uh, as they probe deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the sky? And it's just, it's like the deeper they go, the more spectacular it gets. Oh, he created the stars too. Like it was just nothing. Day four. Some get hung up on the fact that light was mentioned on day one, as well as the concept of the evening and morning and days, but the sun was not created until day four. Does that bother you? Some people are concerned about that. But here's the deal. God doesn't need the sun to make light. You know that, right? 
Uh, he doesn't need the sun for there to be time or days. We're going to come to the end of the book uh, one of these days. As, as, uh, in, in, in reality, I mean, we're going to live uh, through what happens in Revelation. And when we get there, we're going to find the same situation. It says, there shall be no night there. there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever, Revelation 22.5. Uh, he doesn't need the sun. Nothing is impossible for our God, who is in and of himself light. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So on day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day five, he created all the creatures of the sea and the sky. Verses 20 through 23, all the fish, all the birds, all that swim, all that fly. Day number five. And then day number six, he created all the creatures of the land. And by the way, that does include the dinosaurs. He created mankind also on day six, verses 24 through 28. One source I found pointed out you can remember the order of things by keeping two words in mind, forming and filling. Forming and filling on days one through three, God formed the heavens and the earth. And on days four through six, he filled the heavens and the earth with inhabitants. So in six days, everything that makes up our existence and our universe was created. It was all made by God. It was all made by his mere thinking it, willing it, speaking it into existence. He did it all, and when he had done it all, God saw, according to verse number 31, everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Now there are several vital words or phrases that we have to talk about, and we dare not gloss over, because the reason that people struggle with this passage is because they struggle with these particular phrases or words. For example, there's the word day in there. The word day, and uh, along with it is the phrase, the evening and the morning. We have to interpret that properly, because all kinds of error has been introduced when people don't interpret that properly. We first find the word day in verse number five. So the evening and the morning were the first day, and that phrase uh, morning and evening, or evening and morning, actually occurs six times in the chapter, which tells us it's important enough that God wants us to think about it. He repeats himself multiple times. That's a, uh, a principle of biblical interpretation. When God repeats himself, he's saying, hey, listen up. And so this is, this is several times in the, in the chapter, six times in the chapter, and so we need to understand it. And here's the vital thing we need to understand about it. There's nothing hidden about this. There's nothing unusual about these words or these phrases. They mean exactly what they say. They mean exactly what we would think they meant if we were reading them in any other place. A 24-hour period of time. Now, I realize that some today, actually many today, believe that the word day there refers to some vast eon of geological time, uh, but that is not true. That is just false. Such um, nonsense would never even be considered if people hadn't already concluded in their mind that uh, certain teachers, certain scientific theories, certain cultural observations overrule the written and divinely inspired word of God. They've already decided that, so they try to fit it in. Most who postulate that the word day means a vast period of time, they, they, they flee back to Second Peter. They go to Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8 where we read this. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And so they'll say, well, the Bible there says that a day could be, you know, years and years and years. And so, therefore, all kinds of time could have taken place here. And, therefore, you know, theory of evolution fits in there very nicely. 
it doesn't, as we'll see in just a moment, but that's not even a right interpretation of that passage. It's true that the word day can be used figuratively in that way and is used that way in the Bible. But it's also true that it's never used that way in Scripture. It's never used, as a matter of fact, to mean anything other than a 24-hour period of time whenever it's used with a descriptive ordinal. So first day, second day, day one, day two, anytime it's used in that fashion, 100% of the time in the Bible it means a 24-hour day. The interpretation that the word day equates to vast ages was introduced in an effort to just try to uh, fit the biblical text into the false theory of evolution or, or vice versa, fit evolution into the biblical text. But that's eisegesis, is inserting something into the Bible. It's never the correct way to interpret Scripture. If it were not for the theory of evolution, no one would ever, ever, ever in a million years look at this passage and say that that meant anything other than a 24-hour day. I encourage you, if you struggle with that, to pray and ask God, help me to honestly look at this passage. Help me to honestly look into my own heart and soul and ask myself this question. Would I have ever considered that verse to mean anything other than a 24-hour period if someone had not infiltrated my brain with false teaching? And the answer is going to be no. It's, not, it's just simply not possible. The only way anybody ever comes to that conclusion is because they have something outside of it that they're trying to put in it. So we have to understand the meaning of the word day, six days, six 24-hour periods, the evening and the morning, each refers, all those things refer to the same thing, six 24-hour days. Another thing we need to understand is the phrase, according to its kind. According to its kind. That phrase is mentioned nine times in this chapter. And I looked up the word kind there, and it means basically kind or class or species and it apparently refers, uh, always is used in a taxonomical system. We would use the word species today, or, or a similar type word. And what it's saying to us is that God so ordered that creation, or so ordered creation that plants and animals exist within distinct and forever separate species or kinds, and there is never any crossing over from one kind or one species to another. We know that's true, don't we? We know that's true. We only need to consider some examples to say our experience teaches us it's true. Dogs reproduce according to their kind, right? They produce dogs. They don't produce cats, thankfully. They don't produce snakes or bears or people. Dogs produce dogs. Cats produce cats. Always, 100% of the time. Mosquitoes produce mosquitoes. And when I get to heaven someday, I'm going to ask about that one. Gorillas produce gorilla. I mean, we could go on and on and on. There may be variation within kinds, but there is never, ever, ever, ever a crossing over from one kind to another. It just simply doesn't happen. While I was living in southern Ohio many years ago, we had a little dog. The little dog was named Tammy Faye. She was a little poodly-looking thing, and she was so named because she had huge, long eyelashes, just like Tammy Faye Baker, who was on TV at that time. My kids named her. And... uh one day, Tammy Faye got introduced to this scraggly-looking German shepherd who was wandering around the neighborhood, and thereafter we were graced with a little litter of puppies. Cute little things, all of them, very pretty little things, all except one. There was one in there, very sad-looking thing. We named it Francie. I can't remember how 
It came to be named Francie, but that poor thing was the most bedraggled, scraggly-looking pup you have ever seen in your life. And I still remember to this day when uh, we were giving the pups away, and there was only two left. There was one that was a nice-looking German Shepherd-looking pup, and then there was Francie. And uh, this guy came to the house to look at the pups, and he stood there, and he looked at him from one to the other. And, looked back. and then he just very quietly, he pointed to Francie, and he said, Boy, that one got the worst of the genes of both of them, didn't she? And she did. See, you can take two very different dogs and breed them, and a different variation of dog might result. But you can never take a dog and a cat and breed them. It just simply won't happen. They are of different kinds. Isn't it interesting how the Bible, which is not a scientific manual, don't try to make the Bible a scientific manual. It's not. But when it does speak of something in the realm of science, it is always right, 100% of the time. And this truth, that everything reproduces after its kind, according to its kind, it's a scientific truth. It is absolutely true. And if you want to know more about it, there's all kinds of places you can look. Uh, Answers in Genesis website's a good place. And Ray Comfort has a uh, evolution versus God video that deals with this very issue. It's well worth looking at on Google. But we need to understand that according to its kind. When we're trying to fit something else like the theory of evolution into this, that's a showstopper. It can't, they can't both be true. They reproduce according to their kind. Another thing we need to think about is the ramifications of the fact that it was good. It was good. This phrase is mentioned seven times in the chapter, and I'm going to come back to it in a minute because there's some wonderful applications we can make from it. But I want to note one very specific ramification of it right now. When we come to the end of chapter one, God looks at all of creation, and it was there, there all at that time. Everything was done. It was complete. Everything was there. Nothing remained undone at that point. And he declared that it indeed was very good. And it was. I mean, think about it. There was no sickness. There was no pain. There was nothing that was crooked or broken or undone. There was no evil. There was no negativity. There was only his perfect creation populated by his perfectly created beings. And most importantly, there was no death. There was no blood in any of this. Again, that's another showstopper for those who would try to fit the theory of evolution into this particular story. Evolution would have required death millions of times over as wave after wave after wave of of, of beings were born and died and born and died and evolved into something more. In order to fit evolution into the creation narrative, it would have to have taken place before Genesis 1.31, for at the conclusion of that verse, everything's done. Mankind is here. Everything is in place. But no, at the conclusion of the creation week, all was good. And death did not enter the scene until two chapters later, when sin entered the scene. The Bible is clear that death is the result of sin. Jesus came and died on the cross of Calvary because of sin. Because my sin demanded death. And only his death could suffice. To pay the price. Only it could suffice as a substitute. If death wasn't the result of sin and death existed for millions of years before mankind even came on the scene, why in the world did Jesus have to die in the first place? It destroys the whole gospel. No, a thousand times no, a million times no. You cannot fit evolution into this story, not in any possible way. When creation was completed, God looked at it and declared that it indeed was very good. So we have to decide what we're going to believe, don't we? We have to decide. We cannot believe both, for they are contradictory. They are mutually exclusive. They are impossible to reconcile. If evolution be true, then creation is a lie. 
And if the Genesis 1 account is true, then evolution is a lie. Well, let's make some applications. What, is, what does it mean to us, some applications? And let me just mention a couple things because uh, we're about out of time. But One thing that I think of is this. If God is, then it affects everything. Genesis 1.1, if that verse is true, then it affects everything. I, I've said before, and I believe it, that verse is the most important verse in the Bible. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and even the first part of it, most important verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God If that verse is true, uh, it just reminds us that everything starts with God. And that God is the foundation on which everything rests. Nothing occurs without him. Nothing is without him. And we need to apply that to our life and see where it takes us. Because we need to ask ourselves, does everything within us start with God? Does my day start with God? Does the way I spend my time throughout the day, does it include God? Does it start with God? How about my relationships? Is God... The first place there. Is he in the beginning of those? Specifically in marriage, in your home, is he the first place? Husbands, is your relationship with God of first importance? Is he in the the beginning there? Wives, same question. What about your jobs? What about your careers? What about how you spend your time? Which is more important, God or your paycheck? God or your looming promotion? You see, if we have a right understanding of that verse, in the beginning, God. It's going to change our life. It's going to permeate our day. It's going to alter our priorities. It's going to affect everything. And yes, it absolutely affects our understanding of the gospel. Absolutely. Some listen to a presentation of the gospel that goes something like this. You know, all of sin to come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And uh, now if we'll just but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be saved. If we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we can be saved. And people will hear things like that. They'll hear that gospel. And, and some will conclude, you know, if I simply pray and ask Jesus to save me while to keep me out of heaven, and uh, I, better, I better not take any chances. And so, therefore, I'm going to pray that prayer. And then they get up off their knees. And they go on living exactly the same way they did before. And I can't help but wonder, imagine if they got a glimpse of the God against whom they have sinned all their lives before they prayed that prayer. Imagine if they truly understood the one with whom they had to do, this God who's mentioned in Genesis 1-1, who created everything just by willing it into existence, this God who is a consuming fire, God who is the creator and stainer of all, all that is and ever was and ever will be, God who is the beginning and end of everything. Do you think they'd pray a little differently? If they got a glimpse of that, if he was first, do you think they'd take it a little more seriously and that when they got up from their knees having prayed to that God, that it would make a difference in the way they live? I have to confess that there have been times in my prayer life, many times in my prayer life, where I just went through the motions. You probably have done it too. Maybe just trying to get through the prayer list. And then all of a sudden something gets hold of me. Causes me to think, what are you doing? You're just babbling on. You're supposed to be talking to God. And it, 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 it changes. It changes everything. Suddenly you're kneeling. Suddenly you're confessing. Suddenly you're broken by your pride. Suddenly you're truly praying. Because you got a glimpse of the person with whom you had to do. When God 
is the beginning of our lives, when he occupies first place, when nothing comes before him or supplants him as the first thing, it affects everything. Listen to what Job said. Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's what happens if we let God have the first place, if we let God be in the beginning. Well, another uh, application I think that we could make is this. If God created, then he can do anything. He can fix anything. He can recreate anything. I don't know if you think the way I do, but I look out across our world and I think about everything I see is broken. Do you see that? So much is broken. I love our country. But uh, our wishful thinking aside, America is broken. Broken. Our world is broken. Lives all around us are broken. Just a few weeks ago, I, I retired from Hiram and, and came on here full time, and so I've been spending more time at the church than I ever did before. I've been able to meet with people much more readily than before, and I'll tell you, I've been somewhat stunned at the brokenness of folks as they parade through the office. God has reminded me of a truth that I knew, but perhaps my busyness was causing me to pay for it over. I don't know. There are hurting and broken people everywhere. Our church is full of hurting and broken people. Some years ago, I was serving in a church, and I was a deacon. And the pastor of that church resigned, and while the church was searching for a new pastor, the deacons took turns filling the pulpit during the services, and I'll never forget one man's message. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't somebody who preached. He, he just kind of rambled on up there. He didn't really have much organization to his thinking, but I'll never forget one illustration he used in his message. He told of a time when he was a little child, and he was out playing with some friends, and his bicycle broke. And the first thought, he said, that came to his mind was, I need to find Dad. I need to find Dad because Dad can fix anything. And then I said, and that's the same thing with my father. He can fix anything. If God could do what he did in Genesis 1, he can fix anything. He can do anything. What is it that you, got, you need God to fix for you? <laughs> you think it's something that he can't fix? He can fix anything. He can do anything. It, it, it may be soon. It may be a while. But he can do it. He can fix it. He can make it whole. He can make everything right. Rod Truman recently posted something online about a dear elderly saint that he knew who had just graduated to heaven. And I, I just like the way he described her graduation to heaven, her homegoing. He said she had, quote, just received her healing. And I thought that was absolutely true. Whatever was broken before wasn't broken now. Whatever was fixed, whatever struggles, God had fixed them. He might do it here, he might do it there, but he, if God created, then he can do anything, he can fix anything. And then there's one last application I want to make, and that's this. If God made everything good, then good is his intention for us. And we can trust that it is his continued and ultimate intention for us. He designed you for paradise. You know that, right? We're going to learn more about the first paradise Next week, the seeds of that truth are seen here in chapter 1. It was not only good, it was very good. And you get to the end of the Bible and you find out that it will be again. One day, all that is broken will be done away with. All that is dark and ugly and sinful and painful, all that is negative and bad, all that is wicked and evil, every liar 
will be silenced. Can you imagine what our world would be like if every liar was silenced? Every perversion will be gone, every sickness, every disease, every deficiency healed and repaired. All that is crooked will be made straight. All will be good again. All will be very good again. The prophet said, every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And then he sat on the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. It was very good once and it will be. Very good again for those who know and trust in Christ. When I was a child, I was taught a little prayer to pray at mealtimes. Josh and I were just talking about this the other day. As I've, as I've grown older in my faith, I've come to realize that some of the most wonderful theology I ever heard was when I was a child and when I was taught these little rhymes and ditties that we learned in Sunday school and VBS and junior church and things like that. I've maintained for a long time that Jesus Loves Me is one of the greatest songs that's ever been written and some very clear and wonderful theology therein. But so too this little prayer. Remember this one? God is great. God is good. So we th- let us thank him for our food. By your hand we shall be fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Josh gave me that part. I didn't remember that part. But our first part especially, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. You know what that little prayer is? That's Genesis chapter 1. It's Genesis chapter 1. It gives us an amazing glimpse of the goodness and the greatness of our God. Great enough to speak the entire universe into existence and good enough to make it perfect. And so good and so perfect for us. And then it ends with God providing everything mankind needs to sustain them. This was the God who was in the beginning. This is the awesome God that we serve. Evolution tells you that you are nothing, that you came from slime, that you return to nothingness, that you're no more valuable than a rock, and that there's no meaning whatsoever to your life. This first story tells you that you are infinitely valuable, that God made you unique and wonderful and in his image, that he made all that is and will ever be for you, and that his ultimate design and program for you is good. It might be broken now. And as we move into the next couple of weeks, we're going to see uh, sin and these things enter in uh, the scene. But his design and his plan is only for your good. He made it. Sin broke it. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to fix it. And he will one day remake it good and perfect again. The psalmist said, and I close with this, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms, for the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God. Father God, we are so thankful. Thank you, Lord, 
for all the truth that we see here. Help us to receive it. Help us to change our lives. Help us, Lord, to think about the reality of, of what we have here. Lord, you are God. And the things that we are taught in, in our culture and in our world that would try to water this down uh, are, are merely Satan's attempts to blind us to just who, who you are. The magnificence that is God. Lord, help us to see it, to feel it, to experience it, to know it. In the beginning, God, may you be the very first thing in our lives. And, and anything, Father, that would hinder us from having a right relationship with you. Knock it away today, Lord. Help us to see you. Help us to see you in this chapter. As we walk about this day, as we look at the creation that you have made, as we see the sun and the moon and the stars, and, and we look at the animals and the wildlife and the, and the vegetation and the sky, and we look at the seas and the dry lands and all these things that you have created, help us to see you. And help us, Lord, to remember that you did it all so that we might have a place. You did it all for us, and that one day we can be with you and have the same thing again if we but trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Speak to us as we sing, as we close with this closing song. Lord, if there's anybody here today who's never trusted you as Savior, I pray that somehow, somewhere in, in something that's been said or sung here today, they've heard the gospel enough to whet their appetite, to know they need to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, if they were to die today, uh, they would go straight to hell. Help them to know, Lord, they don't have to do that. They can be saved. If there's anybody like that, and Father, if there's any of us who have gotten our priorities out of whack, who have uh, maybe uh, not kept you in first place, uh, fix our hearts today there as well. Whatever decisions need to be made, whatever conversations we need to have with you as we conclude our service in song, speak to us, help us to make those decisions. In Jesus' name, amen.